everyone welcome back to wholesome transmissions um, a show about i guess video games and the people that play them i think that's a very broad general description of what um, this show is and we are back with uh, another episode with some with a guest on and it's kind of funny because i believe when we started the show i mentioned that this was like sort of arms focused and we are now this is our second episode with a guest and we have already departed from arms but I think in terms of what the show is at a deeper level, I really want to explore people that have really dynamic and fascinating outlooks and perspective on not only video games, but life in general and sort of bring positivity to um, the world of video games, esports, and just society. And right now it's, you know, it's, it's a toxic world out there. So the person that we have on uh, today is, um, a very awesome and wholesome individual and one of the first guests that kind of came to mind when thinking about what this show really was. Um, and also because the Nintendo Switch ecosystem is like one of those systems where if you're a Nintendo fan, you sort of know people in a lot of different areas of esports. So um, Radio and myself are uh, talking with Nine Whole Grains. So Nine is a Splatoon commentator. Um, He streams Splatoon 2 and a bunch of other games. Um, He is a fitness buff slash guru. He loves rock climbing. Um, He really likes Golden Sun from my conversations with him. And just an overall awesome individual. So Nine, um, thank you so much for coming on to the show. We really appreciate it, especially since we like just started this show not too long ago. So thanks for taking the, the plunge with us. Well, of course. And thank you for having me. Yeah, no, we are we are uh, stoked to have you on. And again, just you know, you you are you have such a very charismatic and friendly personality, and I think like you're a, a very solid fit for for what we're trying to do here. So yeah, thank you so much. And um, radio, uh, I would just want to you know, let you know you're here, you're here too, and we love you. And um, why don't you say hello to everyone, uh, everyone listening? Hi everybody, I'm hiding in the background. <laughs> Yeah, he's he's slinking away. He had a he had a very uh, long and strainful day at work today and yesterday, so he's a little tired. But you know, we're 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 all good. Um, so I guess starting out the show nine, we'll just start with a, sort of an icebreaker. Um, but I remember a while back, I know you were saying that you worked in an escape room alongside doing some other things. So I was just curious, what is where are you working right now? And what's up? Yeah, so I do work at an escape room right now. I help co-manage an escape room in my hometown. And then outside of that, I also am currently doing casting work with UNG Studios, uh, which is another big esports company that has kind of made their names over the years. And uh, they just happen to be located near where I live. So they called me up and asked if I'd like to try commentating some different games. So Twice a week, hopefully three times a week soon, I cast with them. And then the other days of the week, I do work at that escape room. And it's it's a lot of fun. You'd be amazed at what people do when they get locked in a room with each other. It's I, Some of it is just straight out of a comedic film, a sitcom, really. That that is that is a great description of it. Um, we have an escape room that opened up not too far away from where I live. And we've done two different escape rooms there and yeah there was the the first escape room we actually completed it and went really well 
and we were pretty well coordinated. Um, I did a room not too long ago with my wife and another couple that we know, and it was like a, a disaster. And I'm pretty sure that people in the room were just like laughing hysterically because we were just like, we don't know where the clues are. We have so many different clues that we have no idea what to do with. And it, it, it turned rather comedic. And I could just imagine what was going through the people watching us. Yeah, it's you'd be amazed again at how like normal. Oh, how do I phrase this? So if you imagine maybe a corporate group coming in for a corporate party and everybody comes in and they're all in their pre-described roles, their pre-prescribed roles, that's the way you'd say that, as to what they should be doing in that social group, of course, you'd have the boss or the manager, whoever would be, making sure everyone introduces themselves, leading the conversation. And then as soon as you get into that room, that all goes away because you never know. It might be that quiet intern that just happens to be a whiz at puzzles. And sometimes everyone's willing to go along with that. Sometimes there's a little friction and it really does just depend. But I, I always say uh, it's not always an exciting job, but it's never a boring job, if that makes <laughs> sense. I, I totally agree with that um, description. Because, yeah, once you get... I feel like when, if you're in an escape room and every every social role in a normal situation is almost turned on its head for for the, the the goal of just figuring out the clues and trying to progress that is probably the best way to to put it and i again it it really is a fun thing to watch and i think that it's something if anybody listening right now hasn't tried an escape room do it with your friends because the idea of an escape room is something the, the premise of it is to put you in an experience that Hopefully you won't get in real life in the case of some of our rooms where you're trying to defuse bombs. Uh, we <laughs> hope that you never have to run into that through your daily life. But that's also kind of the point, right? Seeing how you are when the pressure is on, when you're faced with all these different puzzles and challenge you to think in a different way. So uh, it is a lot of fun. It's been very rewarding. I've been working there for about two years now. And uh, it's just been a great job, especially on the weekends when you get a lot of people coming in there because a lively escape room is an enjoyable one. Yeah, I, I think that's great. And I, I think that um, in terms of your, like your personality um, and just the way you carry yourself, I think that you, you work very well in that sort of role. Um, so I'm really glad that you're, I'm glad you're still working there. Cause I think that's a good fit for you. And so about this casting though, that you're doing recently. So um, we were just talking before the show that you are currently um, casting Fortnite and Minecraft, and um, so how has that experience been going from like Splatoon to to games that are kind of in the limelight right now? It's nerve wracking is the best way to say it. With Splatoon, and you know, this is something that's kind of I've kind of come to terms with recently. When I first started commentating Splatoon, I had absolutely no aspirations to ever be a commentator of anything in my life. I've never had a broadcast class. I never had any desire to go into broadcasting. It was just something I did because I loved Splatoon. I loved that game, that game specifically, and I wanted to contribute to its community in any way that I could. I saw a need and I tried to be the best commentator that I could be for that game. So to step out into other games meant acknowledging and really, I guess, making the step in my own mind that okay i'm not just a splatoon broadcaster anymore now i'm moving out into bigger esports titles and i've commentated smash bros before i've commentated some at don't park on the grass which was a big smash brothers tournament and i'd commentated some at nintendo events as well but it was just very very 
nerve wracking moving into a big pre-established scene with a lot of eyes on me. So I did what I always do and I hit the books and I <laughs> book after book or article after article as the case may be hours yep. of VOD review to just try to make sure that you at least do the job justice. And I did a good enough job that despite what Twitch chat may have said, they brought me back. <laughs> that's uh, that's what really matters. And it's just the opportunity to learn and grow and broaden the skill set of it. Yeah, I think that with, you know, if, if you started with Splatoon as like a sort of a passion project of yours and you move on to these larger games, um, I think with the Splatoon scene, you probably had accumulated a lot of the knowledge of the game um, alongside a lot of the, these top players. So you sort of knew the information and knew stuff that was coming as it, as it was developed. Whereas when you're going into Fortnite and Minecraft, um, you are a new fish in a large sea that is already pre-established. And there is a lot of pressure um, in terms of like your knowledge of the game, what you're going to say, the things that you need to look for. And you're, you know, they, these games have had several years now. And in terms of the popularity of the games, tons of articles, books, uh, VODs already established. And there's a lot of money in it. So it's even more pressure to try to get your feet in. It is. And the thing that you really lose out on when you become a commentator for these games is you really lose out on the small stories, the bits of history that may seem commonplace to someone who grew up with that game or grew up with that scene. And like you said, yeah, I've been there since day one in Splatoon 2, right? I, I got in a little late in Splatoon 1 itself. I was definitely more of a casual player at the start who then became competitive, but I've been there from day one for Splatoon 2. So I've gotten to see every development, every bit, and I've got to be part of that story. So there are so many fun stories I can reference on commentary or little references that really enrich the experience that I'm just never going to be able to in these other games, right? You can yeah. search and study and look forever, and you still won't find what you would have if you had just grown up with that game. I think for me, the easiest part has been learning the games themselves, learning the flow, learning what makes a good player, and even breaking down things in a deeper game sense. But those small stories, those bits and pieces, the nuggets of information, that's where it's really frustrating to... I guess, feel helpless more or less in terms of trying to search those out. But again, you, you kind of identify what your strength is, where you can move in, and uh, where you can plant your flag, so to speak. Yeah, I, I totally understand that perspective. And yeah, I, I, it's very difficult to enter into a new ecosystem. And I think with, with ARMS and even like what we're trying to do on this podcast, we bring on people from the arms community. I have to take a step back and think, well, what, you know, not everyone listening knows all this backstory that happened in dozens of discord conversations across several months and on streams. And you, yeah, you, you don't have that, um, that, that inner look if you haven't been with the scene for the entire time or a long period. And those little stories can mean a lot and it adds so much more impact to losses or wins in tournaments. Um, and I, I think even with Fortnite and Minecraft, I don't. I think to a certain extent, because those games are so large, and uh, a lot of people will jump in almost to the online scene immediately or larger scenes. You don't have that at all. It's sort of this larger scale um, event from the start. And I think it's great because those games are obviously performed well, and there's a lot of talent in them. But you don't have the the same experience as you would do with like something like a smaller Nintendo IP like Splatoon. 
It does. And again, more eyes will always mean more scrutiny no matter what kind of job you do. And it's also shown me, I guess, the way... And I, I certainly don't claim to understand all of it, but it's shown me the way that larger esports works and how much building the brand and having the business card and all of this is if you want to really grow and get the other gigs and just how insular that entire community is of its own when you're in you're in but it can be so difficult to really make your way in and it's amazing how many or how few people rather are really the ones that pull the strings at the top of it and uh i my desire in all of this has never been to garner a following i would like nothing more than to work a nice steady nine to five go to the gym in the morning come home relax have a happy family life and you know retire sometime before the age of 80 that's i want nothing more than that i'm a simple man um <laughs> but uh it's not that's not always realistic in the in the field that i have chosen yeah i totally understand that i mean that's why my i, I currently work a nine-to-five job and you know the, the the podcasting that i do now and playing arms has always been sort of secondary to to the goals of education and providing for my wife and myself and you know yeah it is very difficult to do that uh, I guess I did want to ask though, because you kind of mentioned it in terms of the larger esports to the smaller scenes. Um, so, how has it been working with like Nintendo and the Nintendo Treehouse uh, Live? I know we talked about you can't say a whole lot, which is understandable because Nintendo is Nintendo and they, you know, they don't want to show everything. But how has that been compared to maybe working with like Fortnite and Minecraft right now on the larger scale? Well, they always say don't meet your heroes. That has not been the case whatsoever working with Nintendo. It has been every bit of the dream come true that I had always imagined it was when I was a small child. And I, you know, I grew up in a town of 90 people, and that was also roughly the average age of the people living there. So, you know, I grew up by myself, and I'm an only child on top of that. So, yeah. I mean, I've always had Nintendo games as, as a friend, as someone who or something that was really there on my darkest days. So I've always wanted to work for Nintendo or with Nintendo. So to say that it is the dream that I have always dreamed of is nothing, it's no exaggeration whatsoever, but it's it's so easy to see when you work with the people, at least that I've worked with in Treehouse and who I've gotten a cast with with Nintendo, how much they do love the games that they not necessarily develop, but certainly that they're a part of the company for. and you know, getting to talk to them about video games, it's not always the case, but, you know, a lot of times if you get some of them talking about their favorite video games, it's no different than you and I, you know, shooting the bull about the games yeah. that we love. So yeah. it's it's wonderful to be able to work in an environment like that. It's always very positive. They're always very accommodating, very, um, I mean, very kind, honestly. The fact that I've gotten to go back so many times I think shows that when they see something they like, they do want to reward that. And, uh, you know, I consider myself absolutely fortunate. There was not really a precedent for any of the stuff that's been done by Nintendo right now with their esports. I mean, we, we know as much as anyone that Nintendo has not been big into esports for quite some time. And, you know, they're taking the early steps right now. So to see all of this, it's almost as if as if history is being written right before us. And I just consider myself very, very blessed to have been a part of that. And how many Nintendo tournaments or how many events have you been a part of uh, as of dates? I, I know you've gone to quite a few. I wasn't sure the exact number, though. Let me see here. So 
eight. That wow. That's, eight that's eight different Nintendo events that I've been a part of. Yes. And one of them was in China, correct? No, no. The the vacation I took to China was just a vacation. That was to see oh. an old, that was to see an old friend. Okay. All right. My apologies. No. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, I I totally agree. Though is you know Nintendo hasn't been the best at esports, and this is their first kind of step into that. And I think they've done a really good job. I mean, especially with with Splatoon, I look at what they've done for Splatoon. I think the you know, they're really hitting the mark with with uh, several tournaments that um, seem to be really well received, and I'm really glad to you know that they're doing that. And do you still feel like you know? I, in my opinion, Nintendo kind of keeps itself. They have a very strict policy and strict guidelines, but I think in doing so, it maintains that sort of family and like Nintendo magic that you can really only get in Nintendo. And you know, working with Nintendo compared to, to these other streams that you've been doing, do you see like a very stark uh, difference in that? Um, well, the, the streams that I do with UMG tend to still be professional, at least in the way that we conduct ourselves on stream. Mm-hmm. But no, you're absolutely right in, in the way that Nintendo really is kind of sticking their neck out in a certain way. And uh, TK Breezy, actually, I don't know if you are familiar with his name, but he is a fantastic Smash Brothers commentator, one that I've gotten to know quite a bit over some of these events. Uh, he's part of a podcast with Austi, who I think you might also be familiar with. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've, I've talked to Austi quite a bit. And they've they've talked about this exact topic, and the conclusion they both kind of came to is, uh, why would Nintendo ever want to put their name on our community, you know, <laughs> uh, and that's their words, not mine here. I'm not taking shots at anybody, but yeah. I think that it is something that has to be remembered when there is a brand that's trying to be preserved and built. And, you know, for every person who wants to criticize the way that something is handled has to remember that we are the 1% of the 1% our competitive scenes in terms of the overall yep. uh, market base for, the uh just the average consumer base and that's why it has been so cool getting to be a part of this and seeing the people who run these events just how passionate they are and how excited they are to make these events happen and i love the way that they've kind of tackled it differently because i think it's a lose-lose situation for nintendo truly if they were to put their name on an event and let the community run it they would then be subject to everything that the community would do wrong and if they were to step aside and just put money into it or something along those lines, then again, they lose the creative control that they want. So it's a kind of rough for them all in all. So I think the way that they've done it, especially in Splatoon has been good. And uh, for those of you unaware how they tend to do it once a year, generally they have um, regional championships for Europe, North America, Japan, and um, Australia, New Zealand. And then the winners get to go to the world championship. And it is so nice to have an event that you can call Worlds because then that gives everybody an idea or something that they can strive for. And um, I like what they've been doing with Smash Bros as well. Uh, For those who don't know, they just had an event, or I think the event's coming up, where the winners get to go to Big House. So it's almost funneling, instead of directly supporting a specific tournament, they're finding ways to funnel new competitors who might not get to go to these more traditional tournaments into that tournament so it's like slowly creating a pipeline that allows people to reach the inner workings and i think that's a really cool idea and frankly i think it's 
I, I think it's a nice compromise between what they want to do as a company and what they want to do from an esports perspective. Yeah, I I think that's probably the best approach, and I think some people might not want to hear that because it's like, well, Nintendo should be doing so much more; they should be sponsoring events. But I totally agree that Nintendo, if you watch the Nintendo events compared to other events, they might be. I mean, you know, I'm not dissing other other like commentators or events at all. But I'm saying you, there is sort of that Nintendo feel to tournaments they run because they they do select their commentators very specifically, and they um, they have very high level professionalism. Some people might not um, like that they maybe don't commentate about specific tech. I, I think that's one thing that maybe I've seen, at least in the arm scene, is you know they're not as well versed as maybe some of the super competitive and uh, you know top tier echelon players. But it's such an enjoyable watching experience, and I, I don't think there's anything wrong with them being selective with who they choose. I mean, yourself included, you've been you know able to commentate at these tournaments that they've kind of pulled you from, and I think that's great that they look for people in the community that might be good fits for what they're going for, and then bring them on board. And I don't think there's you know I think that's the best way to do it, and I think it it makes a it, it's a great way to start getting their feet wet in esports, and I'm excited for what's to come. I am too. Yeah. And I guess I, I do want to ask. So you seem, I mean, from my perspective, you seem very busy, though. You you are working two jobs right now. You still go to several um, offline tournaments. I think you try to go to as many offline as you can, right? Yeah, if I can. Yeah. And with with exercising as well, which I know is also time consuming and difficult, um, you know, how how do you kind of manage everything and what's your approach to your day to day life and sort of managing the stress that might come with that? Well, uh, (laughs) the uh, the bad advice here, don't do what I'm about to say. I just don't (laughs) there's I do not get enough sleep. That is certainly part of it. Um, But the other the other part of it is to prioritize i think that that's a very very important part in understanding it's not about necessarily packing the old analogy is you can fit so many rocks into a jar some of the rocks are different size but at some point you're not going to be able to fit any more rocks into the jar so you have to organize those rocks as efficiently as you can uh so you have to figure out what your big rocks are for me it's going to these events it's exercising it's spending time with my girlfriend and yeah. it's making sure that um, whether it's content creation or streaming, I'm doing at least something every day to add and build towards what it is I do. And then, of course, working comes with that as well. That's more of a mainstay, though. Uh, whether you prioritize it or not, you, you, you go to it. That's working. <laughs> <laughs> yes. No, you're right. And, and um, I think when you boil it down to five or six things that really matter most to you and you put most of your focus on those, I think you'd be amazed what you could do in the other little pockets of the day too. And I'm a big believer in uh, what I guess I call energy conservation in my mind. It's it's not exactly a buzz term, but uh, the idea is that for me, the mental side of things is always more draining than the physical side of things. Part of that is because I do put a premium on physical fitness and physical well-being, but I always try to mentally pace myself whenever I go into whatever it is I'm doing that day. And I think, you know, going at it from that perspective really helps me a lot. And I think part of that, I I grew up running cross country as well. So that's all about mental pacing as much as it is physical pacing. So I try to take that mentality towards everything I do. And then if I still feel like I have some more energy, I try to do something else. 
And if I still have more energy after that, I try to do something else. And I guess I'm fortunate more often than not, I do have some more left in the tank. So uh, it's not super grand. A lot of it's just going until I'm tired, which mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, is, I know, not not exactly a glamorous answer, but it's worked for me. No, I, I as I've kind of, I've started my, my first you know, full-time 40 plus hours a week job about a year and a half ago now. And I obviously got married last year. And with those things, I've, I've kind of come to a very similar worldview that you have towards this in terms of, you know, I, I spend most of my time working and um, spending time with my wife. And those are like my top priorities. And then playing arms is still one of my priorities, but it's kind of gone the wayside of content creation right now in terms of producing this podcast because that is an easier thing for me to do and a bit less taxing than playing the game and uh, i also recently got rid of all my social media um in order to prioritize spending time with people i'm with and like my friends and family that really matter to me instead and i totally agree that if you if you focus on just a few things you'll you'll be amazed at what you can get done and you'll um, be more you'll be more present and do better work at the things you actually care for if you kind of toss a lot of things from the wayside and i guess in my perspective it's sort of like almost like a minimalist approach to life of like you know try to do as little things you can but do them very well yeah and that's and i think the other part at least that i try to look at it from is too if you even if you just maybe not even throw things to the wayside you just push them into the number two category instead of number one if you Mm -hmm. can take care of everything that is in that priority number one category then that means that everything that's in priority number two by the time that you get over to those things you've taken care of the big stressors in your life and it is so much easier to then do those other things uh though i definitely agree with you i do not spend nearly as much time on social media as i think a lot of other people in my profession do which you know might not be the best but uh i it can be draining man it can be really draining i think i've recently listened to quite a few things on just how social media is overall negative and i'm like well in in cases like an esport commentator it's almost like a necessity to have a brand and create yourself but then i had the argument of like you know, a social media account, that's something that can technically be replicated if you just have the right words or have someone managing it for you or something. And I honestly would, I think that investing your time in creating content or just doing the thing that you want to do and letting whatever hype or buzz create uh, come from it naturally instead of trying to promote it yourself, you know, just spending that time creating instead of worrying about your social media and checking Twitter and all this stuff all the time, I think you're you're better off. You know, you might not have as big of a following, but you can do more on the things that you like. And if you're, you know, passionate about a game like you are with Splatoon or me with ARMS, it lets you create more stuff for that game. And ultimately, I think that that's, you know, the bigger takeaway. It's more, it's sort of like a, um, a martyrdom in a sense of like, I'll, I'll do, I won't have the, as big of a reputation, but maybe I'll, I'll create more stuff creating more stuff and like you said just again shuffling them around to make i don't know at least find something that works for you and yeah i i say that i don't get a lot of sleep part of that is because i wake up early i'm a morning person and i always have been i'm I'm a farm boy we always woke up early and then you know we had morning two a days in cross country and then i had that in college as well so i've always i've always been at my best when i wake up early so that doesn't always work for anyone, but it's getting into the routine that allows you to 
prioritize and really set the uh, circadian rhythm. Circadian rhythm is real, everybody. Listen to your body. Listen to your body. <laughs> Very well put. <laughs> and how is uh, Megan doing? I wanted to ask, how, how is your girlfriend? Megan is doing well. For those who don't know, Megan, uh, my lovely, lovely girlfriend, she and I have been together for almost three years now, which oh, is wild. Um, it's funny, the Splatoon community has only ever known me since I started dating Megan because I didn't commentate my first Splatoon tournament at all until mm-hmm. after Megan and I had already started dating. So for a lot of people, they've uh, only known me uh, as having Megan by my side, and uh, she's she's great. She is a wonderful wonderful gal she's been supporting me all throughout everything and uh she's doing well too she's in that post-grad life she just graduated last semester so oh, all of the uh yeah. wonderful wonderful uh it's hard yeah it's, it, it's yeah. hard it's a minefield man because she's a creative as well she works in animation and graphic design so mm-hmm. there's a lot of things to navigate that don't have a map but she's got a positive outlook and i'm doing everything i can to help yeah, well, that's good, and I'm sure that she needs your support, and especially when you're, you know, fresh out of graduating, and you feel it's kind of like this: this you had the best high of your life in terms of graduating, and then when you're faced with like the adult world and just having to work to to live and eat, and you see how difficult it can be to even get a job, you start to doubt yourself and your abilities. And um, I mean, the best thing you can do is keep that that positive outlook of just overcoming challenges and knowing that you know your own worth is there and you just you know you just might have to wait a bit and be patient <laughs> yeah be patient and uh just always always working towards the bigger goal you don't even have to know what the bigger goal is but as long as you're trying to build towards something i don't know stagnation is the one thing that like really gets under my skin personally and i'm not talking about other people i'm, I'm saying me personally like if i have a day where i don't feel like I moved one step closer to a goal, then I go to sleep that night thinking, okay, tomorrow I have to do better. Well, that's that's a good approach to have, though. And I think on that note, we are going to take a short little break um, so that we can give ourselves a little bit of a, a voice rest. And we will come back with the second part of the show talking about Splatoon and mentality and all that fun stuff so um yeah we will we will be back guys guys so we are back uh, our break took a a little longer than we anticipated when you say guys just just a touch just a touch <laughs> so <laughs> so <laughs> unfortunately um the second half of the original episode that we recorded with nine got corrupted and we lost all of it and we are back um about a month later re-recording the second half and instead of trying to actually have the same discussion that we had which would be quite difficult um, uh, our approach to sort of this episode now was to kind of recap and like discuss uh, what we talked about in that second half we lost. 
Um, and then also possibly cover a little bit of new ground because now we have a little extra time. We're not, you know, we're, it's a new session basically. So we can go over a few more things. So um, we started out in the, in the original second half talking about uh, Nine's entrance into the Splatoon scene, how you guys started in there. And then we'll, we kind of took the conversation from there. So why don't we, uh, you know, discuss that a bit, Nine, and we'll just see where it goes. Sounds good to me. Picking back up where we left off. Absolutely. All right. So uh, my entry into the Splatoon scene, the best way to describe it would be that I was like most people when they enter a gaming scene, just a fan of the game and a competitor. When I originally saw the trailer back in 20... Oh, I don't remember if it was early 2015 when that first trailer happened or late 2014, but the point is... I saw the trailer and thought it was so strangely unique. It, it looked like Nickelodeon had decided to make a shooting game and Nintendo published it. Um, and then they did the global test fire. I played it and I knew immediately in that 5 a.m. session because I did wake up for the first one that this was going to be my game. I competed all throughout Splatoon 1. Eventually I went to a LAN that happened to be held in Chicago, which was close enough to drive to. And that's how I met people within the scene and how I got started in the scene itself. Yeah, and for listeners uh, who maybe don't know what Splatoon is or haven't seen it, it is it is a, a third-person shooter where you play as uh, Inklings or Octolings in the second one. And it's you can basically go and you basically paint the map and you deal damage to your opponents in sort of this third-person shooter. You can go underwater in your ink, and uh, it's it's a great Nintendo IP. But yeah, the first game came out 2015, and the second one came out, what, it was 2017, correct? It was. It was okay. the summer of 2017. Yeah, and so from that initial time um, with the scene, like, is where did your... I guess your commentary, you know, start and when did you start getting more involved in sort of, you know, being less of a competitor and then sort of going into more of like a community figure slash commentary? So role? I began commentating. I want to say my first official commentary role um, was actually in Super Smash Brothers Melee. So I'd had some experience in commentary doing some locals, but I began in mm -hmm. Splatoon commentary uh, at Don't Park on the Grass 2016. Okay. This was back December of 2016. It was the second major LAN event. This one was in Seattle. And I happened to be sitting next to the commentary station right as they needed somebody to commentate. It was a total stroke of luck. I happened to be sitting there because I wanted a good angle on a certain player that I was interested in watching their gameplay. Mm -hmm. The TO said, hey, you sit, you're sitting close. Do you want to commentate? And I said, golly, I'll okay, yeah, <laughs> sure, why not? And uh, Twitch chat and the community were very kind to me over the course of that first set that I commentated. And the yeah. TOs asked me to commentate winners finals and then grand finals after that. So um, that would have been the first taste. And after that, I got hooked. Uh, yeah. Commentating Splatoon was, I guess the best way to describe it is it was a chance to talk about the game I loved with an audience that would be receptive to it. And that's how I initially began my commentary is I would look for any event that was looking for commentators online or offline, and I would try to commentate it. And around, yeah. I would say maybe three months of that is when I started to make the transition from competitor into commentator. 
because the scene didn't have many dedicated commentators and I was trying to find a way to contribute more to the scene itself and Commentator 9 was doing that at a much higher rate than Competitor 9 ever was. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's <laughs> kind of funny that you say that because I also commentated some arms tournaments online and it was sort of similar reasons where it was just like, okay, we need some commentators for this tournament. And I kind of volunteered because um, you know I, I find it pretty easy to talk over games and um, being a comp- starting out as a competitor really helps because you know the different competitive elements, you know what to look for in the gameplay and initially from that competitive mindset. So I, I find that you know that's why you see players like Hungrybox in the Smash scene, for instance, commentating because maybe that that's not what their uh, main focus is or what they're like you know, their mindset is, but it's really easy to do that when you're a competitor because you're already so familiar with things in there and it just kind of evolves from that. And so commentating um, Splatoon, and I guess it's interesting to see that you kind of just filled the role that was needed at the time and took it from there. And um, so you, we, I know we discussed in the first half, you've been flown out to Nintendo and everything like that. And um what has your commentary experience been with Splatoon 2? And like, you know, maybe touch on that a little bit. Oh, man, my commentary experience. Uh, well, I as so different than Splatoon 1, where I competed for about half of it, and I wasn't really in the scene, so to speak, for the first year. Mm-hmm. Uh, Splatoon 2, I've been commentating from day one. Yeah. So I've gotten to see the game itself grow. And that's really been a, a valuable tool for me is because people talk about, you know, what was this meta then? What is the meta now? And as a commentator who's been a part of it from the from day one, I don't really have to study. Uh, of course, mm-hmm. I do study and I do film review and I try to learn as much as I can about the teams. But there's a lot of very innate information that a newer commentator would have to study and learn that you just have through experience, which is very nice. But with regards to the Nintendo events, uh, first off, let me just say that they take great care of their talent, and yeah. it's yeah. the highlight of my life has been working with Nintendo mm-hmm. on these different events, getting to see the game I love pushed to its highest level on the biggest stage, and it's always refreshing to meet people who are watching competitive Splatoon for the first time, or maybe know it only from a very casual standpoint, or topical Genesis 7 is going to be coming up where Splatoon and Smash are together. Maybe they only know of Inklings from Smash Bros. And then they see this game and they are stunned by it, by how quickly the game moves, by the the skill cap and how well you can maneuver your character, how much aim is required, how many different combinations are. So it's rewarding not only from a commentary standpoint, but just meeting new people and introducing them to your game. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing with, I think, a lot of the, you know, both Splatoon and ARMS being sort of Nintendo's push towards new competitive IPs is um, aesthetically and just like from an onlooker's perspective, they're very like appealing games to be looking at. Like their art style is really neat and you can see a lot of the intricacies that go into the player mindsets and it, it makes for a very enjoyable watching experience. And I think, you know, again, being in the scene, you know the storylines that are developing, and there's less work on your end because you're truly passionate about the game and the community, and it, it makes it way easier to prep for these things because, yeah, you need to review film or hone certain elements of your, your commentary, but like you already have most of the groundwork laid, um, yeah. which, is, which is fantastic. And I guess, I guess continuing on and sort of recapping what we, what we lost... Um, we also talked about sort of 
with Splatoon, how we you when when Splatoon one was sort of winding down a little bit, that was around the time that Splatoon two um, was announced, I believe, uh, if I'm not mistaken. It was yeah. It was around that time we at least knew. I, I think the gap between when the Switch was announced and when the Spl- when Splatoon two was announced was maybe. Mm-hmm. I don't know, two or three months, but we certainly yeah. knew that we had a new system on the rise and we definitely knew that Splatoon 2 was going to be coming. Exactly. So, yeah, we talked about how with Splatoon 1, you had the next step and the next uh, venture for the community in, in, you know, in your uh, sites. And then how with Splatoon 2, um, sort of following a similar pattern where it seems like you know a lot of the updates have have now stopped. I, be- I believe is there any additional content updates coming for Splatoon Two? Is there, or is it all finalized now? So it'll be to the best of my knowledge and with what's been announced so far, balance mm-hmm. patches is about as big as it's going to get. But okay. it is it is certainly slowed down even yeah. in that regard. Yeah. So going into that, you know, we talked about how the the future of the splatoon community and the and the competitive side of that is sort of in uncharted territory and um why don't you share kind of your thoughts on it and we'll we'll take it uh back from there yeah well um as we talked about in the last episode the trickiest thing when you have a community that's primarily grassroots is keeping people engaged when there isn't a certain future that's coming up. And that's really the issue that we've been running into as a scene, because we do have Nintendo events. Nintendo typically puts on, at least within North America, three to four events every year. Worlds, the qualifier for Worlds, they recently put on an event where the winning team won a trip to Japan. And those are all great and wonderful events. but they raise a bar to where that is now what has to be on the other end for teams to really treat it as a major event. Because yeah. as much as, as nice as bragging rights are, and believe me, they are, uh, we, <laughs> we, we, we got some pride in the scene. Um, yeah. Always good to see. But uh, when that is the upper limit of what the prizes are, a trip to Worlds, a trip to Japan, all of these different things becomes very, very difficult to get people motivated for what used to be a big event you know you would get a hundred teams together or more and the winning team would have some severe bragging rights and that was it nowadays that's not really enough especially because the game has been pushed so much further than it was in splatoon one because we now know what might be in the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow if you will so we have and it, some things have changed since we last um, recorded. We now have some more big community run events that are coming up. So some of the okay. ailing issues that we were discussing in the last episode have been remedied. It's it's a band aid. It's not a tourniquet, awesome. but it's that's it's something. Yeah, it yeah. is. Uh, but I think that with events slowing down, we've moved back into an area of okay, you know, maybe we maybe we don't need the push for esports maybe just us being very insular and battling amongst ourselves to see how far we can push ourselves maybe that's enough for now and that answer mm-hmm. is going to be different for every player especially when you look at some of the other major esports out there millions of dollars in in prizes and things like that but um i think that things are certainly in better standing than they were when last we recorded 
Well, that's fantastic to hear from, you know, about a a month ago. And I I think there's two things I kind of want to talk about. One being, um, yeah, you know, it it is, I think the fact that Nintendo has supported Splatoon is almost in retrospect, like a double-edged sword, because I think you, you, you touch on it where now it's like great Nintendo supporting the scene that really motivates more people to get into the game. And there's more bragging rights and tournaments to be had. But then if that support uh, dwindles a little bit, which, you know, for a lot of these other larger esports where there's still a lot of money to be made and they're still growing, that's not an issue. But if Nintendo's support is waning a little bit or they're, they're setting their sights on what's to come, then, yeah, it's like, OK, well, these tournaments that used to be a big deal locally or, or community wise, um, you know, well, where, where's the next world or where, you know, what is where are we going to tackle next the, the, the larger sense? And that and that's uh, an interesting thing to, to think about for for yes. a scene like some soon, because I remember when the switch was announced and we I saw like the Splatoon, like the trailer for the switch with like the you know, they had the trailer where. They showed competitors getting ready for a Splatoon tournament. I'm like, oh my goodness, it's actually happening. And it was like supporting the competitive scene more. And that's so amazing. But on the tail end, uh, a few years later, it's interesting to see the, the consequences of that. Yes. And you've you've actually taken a very nice deep dive into there that I'd be happy to build off of. Because, Absolutely. Um, so when I originally kind of started to discuss this, I called it the E3 problem. Mm-hmm. Because you're absolutely correct. It has been a double-edged sword. And let me, you know, just go on record here in case anyone's listening. The support that Nintendo has given the scene has been absolutely fantastic. The effect that the first E3 had when Splatoon 2 first came out, when Set to Destroy X, or then Team Deadbeat, uh, mm-hmm. beat uh, Dynamu, the Japanese team, was not only the first time that an American team had beaten Japan in any major capacity, it gave those players the opportunity to be sponsored. It grew their brands overnight to a level that we just hadn't seen. And it gave everybody hope. And you, you need hope. Hope is very important to yeah. uh, if you're trying to accomplish or push through anything. Especially a grassroots scene, absolutely. Exactly. But it's a very tricky thing it's a very tricky position for Nintendo to be in because in some of these other esports that these developers are pouring a ton of money into, they need it to be an esport. Those developers continue to double down and reinvest in these prize pools because yep. the second that that game isn't the hot esport, it's going to fade by the wayside. I don't know if you've heard how people have discussed, talked about Fortnite in the last couple of weeks. I know no. chapter two happened, but it got bad to the point where people were saying that it was a dead game, despite having, you know, the second largest concurrent player base in the world. But uh, people were looking for something else to move on to. And yeah. it seems so weird and wild to think about how less than six months ago we had players winning millions of dollars. And yet that's not enough because it's not the in esports. So these developers need to continue pumping money and running events because it doesn't have legs to stand on outside of it being an eSport. And with Nintendo, that's never been their philosophy on their games, even the eSports titles. And so the support that they have provided to Splatoon, I think is very good. It's certainly the most support that they've given a competitive game since yeah, maybe ever. I mean, honestly, I would have to look at the numbers, but yeah, I, I think that, they are trying to walk a tightrope and 
people always say, I wish they'd put, you know, $10,000 into this, $5,000 into this, weekly events, monthly events, whatever it may be. But I think that that's just not realistic. And even if it were, I think that that would monopolize the scene as a whole. I think that the only events people would really want to do would be the Nintendo Championship events. And they are spread out enough right now that there is still room for the scene to grow and do what it wants. And I think think that's as good as it's going to get, honestly. Yeah, and... So I think there's two uh, from my from what I'm hearing from you I th- I feel like then there's sort of these two different approaches to esports that we're seeing then we're seeing either the approach to let's um with like Fortnite or other uh esports that are in the public eye let's push the game um and design it for these larger tournaments to get a lot of top players to and push that or with Nintendo, the way that they've supported the games and the way that the fan bases of their games have developed in a more grassroots scene, loyal to the company, actually, instead of just maybe the game, you develop these more intricate, um, intimate People know each other outside of the game and they, they form these, these friendships and it grows in this almost organic way that's like parallel to to the rest of of esports that we see. So, I think you 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 bring up a good point. And even if Nintendo pumped money into into tournaments, is that just a band aid fix, fixing small issues and not getting to the core of maybe like you know pushing the uh, like Splatoon in the in the way of Fortnite or other games. Um, or do they want to continue with with their philosophy of like almost developing passionate communities around these games that just love the the artwork and the characters and the music and whatever? You know? Well, and again, you hit on an interesting point because this actually came up in an interview. It was Smash Bros. related, but I think the philosophy certainly still applies, um, especially within the Nintendo of America scene. The interview is with Reggie talking about the approach that they take to uh smash bros and sponsoring Mm -hmm. smash bros tournaments and what their ultimate goal is there and ultimately they want the community to be the one that grows and develops itself and for nintendo to be more of a i guess every once in a while supporter type but let the community run the community and you know, I think that the way that they've gone about with some of their online events where the winning players get to go to some of these major events. That's uh, amazing. Yeah, they well, and somebody actually, I believe it was a uh, apostle from uh, Video Game Boot Camp posted that the total retail prize value, however you want to phrase it, of the um, Nintendo november online open i certainly butchered that name uh is around seven thousand dollars that is being invested in getting these players out to this major event so it's taking people at least in an ideal world who would be playing at home and not get to attend this event and get to experience what the community is all about it's creating this gateway and recultivating the money or recultivating the scene and giving the money to the community rather than lining the pockets of of the top players who are going to win that money anyway. And I don't think that top players shouldn't be compensated for their work, especially yeah. with the viewership that Smash events bring in. But to tie this back to Splatoon, I think that it's a very difficult line where if they're going to run their events, the events are going to have to be done their way. Nintendo absolutely mm-hmm. has a brand that they want to protect. 
they have goals for each tournament and the viewership that they bring in. And it's also important to remember that the competitive scene is less than 1%. It's 1% mm, yeah. of 1% of the people who play the game. The, yep. Splatoon is over 7 million units sold now. Even if our scene was 70,000 strong, that would still <laughs> not even scratch <laughs> the surface of the larger player base of Splatoon. And it is certainly not 70,000 strong. So yeah, this is all a very roundabout way of saying that I think that Nintendo wants the fan base and love of the game to be bigger than esports. And for the people mm-hmm. who are specifically competing, you know, that can be very frustrating, especially when you see these mainstream esports get all the money, get all the yeah. love, <laughs> the streamers, the streamers grow. I mean, the, the, the viewership and the streamer, like the amount that the streamers can make is just as important, if not more important to a lot of these people than the prize pools. But absolutely. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a tricky balance to strike. And I think that Nintendo is slowly but surely figuring out how they want to attack this. I don't think it's as simple as a lot of people try to make it. No, it's not. Maybe I'm too optimistic. <laughs> I think I, I don't think you're too optimistic. I think you bring a really realistic view to it. And I think that, um, you know, Nintendo is rather like they've done their, you know, Nintendo World Championships, obviously, for several years. That's nothing new. But they they are new to the idea of pushing esports, and it, it, I think that even in the you know I mean what maybe five years that I feel like they've been really pushing for competitive gaming of, the, of their games. Um, I think they've done a, a good job in sort of like the idea of, of sponsoring players to fly out to a tournament is like an amazing idea for marketing and getting people out to to you know continue to boost the scene. And I think that they're finding their niche of still keeping their brand and um, pushing esports in a way that suits, you know, the types of communities they develop um, in a really good way. And I well, thank you for sharing that. And I, I guess going on from there, um, let's delve into sort of the the mentality and competitive aspect that we discussed. So yes. I guess starting out, um, so what is what has been your your personal approach and the types of things that you think about or look for when you're playing um, Splatoon competitively? So we'll we'll start there and sure. you know get some insight. Continue. Well, let's see. So playing Splatoon, my mentality yeah. is uh it's it's very dependent on if you're playing solo queue versus if you're playing with the team. And why don't you uh, uh, quickly describe that to listeners who may not be aware. Sure. So for any of you viewers who have come from other, again, more mainstream esports, particularly shooters, uh, you will know that there is often uh, the ability to look at what your team is choosing in terms of their champions, adjust what you are doing based on that, even voice chat, and then go in with your uh, team that you have put together the composition for, communicate, and fight your way to victory. Splatoon does not have in-game voice chat, first of all. Secondly, you do not get to see what or what weapons the players have picked. You do not even get to see who is on your team until the match has already started. All this creates very, very unbalanced and volatile matchmaking. Yeah. And this means that in solo queue, no matter how good of a player you are, you might just get the shortest end of the shortest stick. You might get stuck with three snipers with your frontline <laughs> weapon while the other team has a perfectly well-balanced composition. Yeah. And what's more, X-Rank, which is the top level of competitive play, can range from uh, X-Rank 1900 to X-Rank 3000. 
Now, wow. you don't need to know what those numbers mean to know that a 1,100 skill disparity <laughs> is not okay. No, that's and, not. Uh, again, because it is regional-based matchmaking, it means that a lot of times the communities that are very, very skilled will continue to get to play with very skilled players and people who are left on the outside will not receive those same opportunities. So this has all been a very roundabout way of saying that Splatoon solo queue is inconsistent at its best and infuriating <laughs> at its worst. And so my approach whenever I play solo queue and I often stream when I do is I use the opponent as moving target dummies. Um, I, I try to have a goal. Maybe it's trying to learn a new weapon. Maybe it's trying to learn a certain stage. And I try to be realistic with what I can accomplish and what I can learn in that situation. I may yeah. lose some games because my team is horrible. And I may certainly have lost many more games because there was a play to be made and I couldn't make it. Mm -hmm. And I think that that portion of my mentality is very good. Maybe is, we, yeah. yeah, maybe maybe we lost a game because they made a big push later on, and maybe my teammates made missed three chances to end it. But I had a chance to end it before all that. I should it should never have come to my teammates needing to do it because I had a perfectly makeable play, and I missed it. So you look at that, you say, "All right, next time I have to be better," and you move Try along it. with that. Yeah. So. Um, that is about, the solo queue. Go ahead. Sorry. And yeah, no. And, and so solo queue, then how is your, what, what shifts when you're, when you are, you know, playing in a tournament? Cause you have obviously, you know, you have played in a lot of tournaments, you still play competitively sometimes. Um, so what are some of the, you know, what are you looking for in terms of matches? I, you know, I think we also touched last time on the difference between playing to learn versus, you know, playing to win. And where do you fall in that sort of range? Yeah, you will. You're, I think, exhibit A on the playing to learn bit and doing it at the highest level. You've talked about how even when you're playing some of the best, you you still play to learn. So I'm actually going to I want you to go into that a little bit, because I remember last time I built a bit off that and I felt like that was a really nice discussion. So talk a little bit about your mentality, because uh, you're one of the best. <laughs> so, yeah. And so in arms, um, I from the beginning of starting to play arms competitively. I, this, you know, arms has been the main, the first competitive game I've ever really played or delved into at that, at that level. And I've always tried to maintain the same mentality from zero skill to top level skill of just, okay, I played a match. What can I learn from this experience? What could I do better? What did I do right? Um, and how can I implement that into my play style for the next match? You know, and that has been my outlook for almost every game. And I have not played like that always because, you know, there are periods where I feel stagnant because I'm just sort of relying on muscle memory or tactics that used to work. And that's kind of when I saw myself plateauing a bit. But I felt like if I was just able to have uh, the mentality of going into every match, like I want to learn something and I'm, and I'm doing that, I continued to see improvements. And I think the main issue is also... That's not something that you can always keep up for a long time, like having that outlook on a game, because I felt like my brain was was running several gears at once constantly because it felt like I was not only focusing on playing the match at hand, but also trying to have this backward, you know, this background thought of what can I learn? That's that's a taxing uh, thing. But that that's always been that's you know, my approach to, to playing competitively at any any skill level. Man, that is very <laughs> several gears at once. That's a great way to describe it. Mm -hmm. So 
<clears throat> to uh, kind of build off what you were saying there in terms of, you know, using what works versus playing to learn versus knowing when you have to kind of shut the brain off. Whenever I play with a team in a scrim or in league battle, which is solo queue for teams, mm-hmm. I think that that is where the playing to learn aspect really, really comes into play. Yeah, because Splatoon is too fast of a game for you to try to be learning about everything in the heat of a moment. Yeah, and absolutely. I was just going to say absolutely. And, you know, when I was playing arms, I wouldn't I certainly wouldn't be trying to focus on every aspect of gameplay to learn at any moment. It was maybe certain aspects of it. Right. And I think that that probably is the same for Splatoon, where even in competitive scene, you're also trying to adapt to what your opponents are changing. Um, while they play, and that's another important aspect of it that that contributes. It is, and the biggest difference between playing Splatoon in tournament versus by yourself is, of course, the the team communication. So, mm-hmm. it's an entirely separate skill set. Uh, communication is, and it's one that, uh, unlike some of the other things within Splatoon's mechanical skill, everybody can get better at communication, and you can get better very. I would argue very simply by choosing to make more active callouts by opting to say, oh crap, he got me less, and instead say, got me on left. More efficient and easier way to communicate what is going on. So my mentality, my approach when I am playing is I want to always be talking and conveying information And in those situations, you have to trust your mechanical skill. You cannot be focused on trying to hit this shot. That's muscle memory at that point. And that's where all the practice comes in. And that is where solo queue can be nice. Understanding what is the absolute maximum range that I can hit an opponent from when I play around this piece of cover. And if you have enough time in the game, that is something that will come to you very naturally. And you can focus instead on communicating what is going on and being very active in your communication. And I could go on about callouts and communication in Splatoon forever. But the main thing is you're not only in charge of your own mentality, but you're also in charge of the mentality of your entire team. Because believe me when I say there are some very talented teams that have not reached their peak because the second something goes wrong, they get down on themselves. Remarkably talented players that just get broken very easily. So I think that it falls on the teammates to help pick them up and keep things moving forward and not let them get in their own head. Yeah, and I think delving into that a bit, because we we also discussed uh, in this first recording of um, burnout and uh, some issues with like pride or uh, delving into that. So why don't we discuss, you know, I guess the burnout and disappointment a bit and and um, discuss like, so from your perspective, I think you you mentioned how there are a lot of Splatoon players who devoted a lot of hours like you know eight hour days every day into learning the game so um what was your how was how has that experience been from an insider's perspective well even from my own perspective i don't even put that much time in and i hate to lose but (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's uh i mean it's it's absolutely difficult especially again because nintendo has put up these events that have become the the central events in the community you might have to wait another four months to really get your shot at beating these different teams because a lot of the top teams scrimmage against one another, but you know, nobody really keeps scoring scrimmages. If they Mm -hmm. do, they're, they're ostracized because, you know, maybe another team was 
just trying out a new weapon, a different idea. And you don't really want to be the person who says that you won most of the friendlies. Yeah. Uh, you never want to be that person. So it might take a long time for you to get another chance. And so it is very, very frustrating. And the burnout that can occur is, and I mentioned this last time, partially because of losing, but also because there are a lot of players who have played Splatoon exclusively since the first game came out. This is just two years of competing at a game. For a lot of our top competitors, they were top players in Splatoon 1 as well, and that wasn't by accident. They've yeah. been putting in that kind of effort and time for the better part of four years now. We're moving on five years that this has been a thing. So, And maybe independent of some of these other communities where players will you know, play by themselves, maybe in a fighting game, and then go play something else, a lot of these teams focus solely on Splatoon because you do need all four players of your team in order to really get in legitimate practice. So that is that a, might, Oh, go ahead. That, that is an insane amount of coordination to have over the span of four years because you, right. you know, as anyone who is in college or in their adulthood would know, coordinating time to do specific sessions for improving at the game or learning or, or sparring is, is a lot of effort. It's it, it, like, that is that other than work, that might be your only thing you do. <laughs> it might be it. And again, think about it. Now you have to figure out your own time. You have to figure out three others on your own team, maybe more if you have a substitute, and then you have to find another team that's also willing to do that. And one of the other reasons why Splatoon is run into some serious burnout is because a lot of these people were in high school when Splatoon 1 came out. Yeah. For years, they're now in college. And it's very, very <laughs> difficult, and a lot is changing in their lives. And for the people who started off in college, they are now graduated. They are, in some cases, now 40-hour-a-week salary men and women looking and trying to figure out their place in the world. Yeah. And this all adds up to a lot changing in an atmosphere and in a gaming atmosphere more specifically where you would ideally like things to be as stable as possible in order to achieve the most from any any game or any session that you have and for a lot of people that just hasn't been a an achievable feat so it's me or it's meant that a lot of players have had to rely on solo queue and as we talked about earlier solo <laughs> queue is very very draining and it's nowhere close to the best practice that you can get so yep. It's all created a very rough, a, a very rough training atmosphere that really isn't entirely the game's fault. But when you have a young community, these changes come much more quickly than if you were an older community. Because I don't know about you personally, but outside of job changes, you know, 23 to 25 now, these last couple of years for me, haven't changed a whole lot in terms of at least what I've had to go through as opposed to you know, changing from going to high school to going to college, for instance. Yeah. I mean, I went through my, the biggest transition in my life last year when I did the, I three foldedly got married, moved out of my parents' house and got a full-time job. Right. So like three huge changes that drastically impacted how much free time I have, where I spend that time and, you know, what, what really matters in my life. You know, those, those, those things have shifted. So yeah, I mean, it's it's huge to go through that that like a four year period when you're in high school or college, because in that in that four years, a lot of things will change. Um, you're still developing in personality and, and as, as a person. And, you, you know, you're going to have different outlooks uh, between those time spans. And you're going to, you know, trying to play um, one game where there's only one outcome, like trying to win. You're, you're going to 
probably impact your play style as well during that time in transitioning. Yeah. Oh yeah, it'll absolutely impact your playstyle, and that's saying nothing for patches or anything else that might come in. <laughs> like, what yeah. happens if you just you really legitimately love playing one weapon class, and then that weapon class gets nerfed? It really mm-hmm. takes a lot of wind out of your sails. Some sails that already were having a hard time getting off the ground. So, and, uh, and what do you think can be done to remedy that for players? Like, what are some of the 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 uh, solutions to that? Well, I think most of the solutions will come from an individual standpoint. There is no panacea that you can apply to a scene as a whole. Yeah. But I think for players specifically, I think you you have to prioritize. Last time I remember we used the old jar of rocks analogy. You can uh, put yeah. rocks in in a jar. The bigger rocks will take up more space. You can fit in smaller rocks. The bigger rocks will, of course, dominate the space. But you can only fit so many rocks inside mm-hmm. of a jar. There's finite space in most jars, at least. Maybe there's an infinite jar somewhere <laughs> that I'm not aware of. But we'll find it eventually. We'll find it eventually, yeah. Or it'll find us as it consumes the world. Yep. <laughs> but uh, this is all to say that you you have to find balance in your life. You have to be able to work your schedule, work your social life, whatever it may be to prioritize uh, what it is that is important to you. And as a lot of players have made these transitions into college, into med school, into the working world, whatever it may be, they've understandably had less time to focus on Splatoon. Mm -hmm. And I think even if there were big prize pools in Splatoon, they would still at least, I hope, focus on these big changes in their lives. So I think that Every person who wants to try to improve at the game uh, needs to take a a hard look at their life. Look at, is it balanced? Am I taking care of the other things that mean a lot to me? And, you know, is is Splatoon... Splatoon can be a big thing in your life. It can be a huge thing. It can be one of the biggest things, but it can't be the only thing. I think it's very important that for you know maybe some youngsters who were high schoolers where you know they were sharps high school wasn't super difficult they could make splatoon the biggest thing yeah but i think now they have to understand that it can't be the only thing and that that's totally fine if you're able to remain balanced and really look at your training regimen you can get a lot of good out of a 90 minute to two hour session or even a one hour session you can get a lot done in that time i mean look at I mean, look at weightlifting, for instance. A lot of yeah. people who maintain very good physiques can't dedicate any more than an hour to 90 minutes on their training. But they've refined mm-hmm. their training regimen and they've gotten good results. And more importantly, they've maintained balance in the rest of their life. And I think that that's absolutely applicable to not only Splatoon, but esports as a whole. Yeah, definitely. And I think um, you, you shouldn't be, you shouldn't only have one thing in your life, regardless of what it is work, um, you know, like, one person in your life being like, you know, the majority of your friendship or whatever, like, you know, or, or focusing too much on a video game, you know, you're, there's a, a, a good deal of value in moderation. And I think you, you talk about the sort of self-awareness of that you should have. Cause like a lot of time I feel like people go through life without thinking about 
what they're doing. You know, they're just spending their time in these ways and they might be seeing unforeseen consequences of relationships failing or other aspects of their life uh, getting significantly you know, more difficult. But they don't they're not even taking that step back to think, well, why is this happening? And it's like, oh, wow, I'm, I, it's because of my it's because of my priorities and, what I, and they're like my outlook, you know, and they're not they're not uh, taking that extra step to do some self um, introspection. Yeah, introspection. And again, it's just a matter of understanding where it is in the grand scheme of things. You can still very seriously compete in a game but not make it the only thing. I, I certainly very seriously competed in track when I was in college, but yeah. it certainly wasn't the only thing that was there. I still put in a ton of time. I competed my very hardest and it was a big priority, but it wasn't the only thing. And I think that can absolutely be the case in Splatoon and esports as well. Well, well thank you for, for uh, sharing your insight. And I guess we've sort of covered all of what we we lost in the second half and i did want to cover a little bit of new ground because as we've started recording some more episodes in our show we found a lot of value in talking about people's disappointments or failures and kind of opening them up to to sort of be a, this learning tool right and i think especially for you I think that a lot of people probably think that you have everything together. And I'm guessing, you know, long shot, but I know I've known a lot of people, you know, there's probably some struggles that you've had. So would you mind kind of sharing maybe some of the struggles you've had in these recent years of commentating and, and you know, uh, like being in the Splatoon scene and then what you kind of did to overcome them or, or how you handled them? Certainly. Um, I, you know, I'll be honest, I've I've had it a lot better than I think a lot of other people who've made it on this. The scene has been very positive to what I've done pretty much mm -hmm. from day one. And that is certainly not something that I think a lot of people run into. Uh, Smash commentators, my heart be with you. Uh, <laughs> and they, they get the shortest end of the shortest stick to yeah. use that expression again. No, but, they do. Uh, yeah. Um, again, uh, I've had it pretty good, but uh, there is one angle I think I can take to this. And that is and I know this is a lot of you out there, being your own biggest critic and how down you can get on yourself even when other people are telling you that you've done a fine job. Maybe yeah. it's because you know that wasn't your best effort. Um, maybe it's because you aren't satisfied with it. Whatever it may be, that is something that I have run into because um, my favorite saying is, I take what I do seriously. I don't take myself seriously uh, because I do. This all started as a hobby the reason that i became um one of the the forefront splatoon commentators isn't because i ever expected there to be a reward that is flying being flown out by <laughs> nintendo yeah. this was never the plan okay i yeah. just wanted to get as good as i could at it and that was really the motivation that got me up to try to practice and get better at it so when you run into a situation where you've given a cast or you've given a performance, you've played the game, whatever it is, and you're disappointed uh, and you're your own harshest critic, I have run into that. So the uh, I'll, I'm going to go ahead and quote my, my old track coach who uh, he had just a great saying. He was a man of few words, but one of his sayings that he would always say during races is trust your training. Yeah. Uh, because it's a very... I suppose, naked way of approaching it. Trust your training. Because if you trust your training and you believe that you have put in the proper preparation, 
trust your training is a very refreshing statement because you can always look back and say, yes, I did put in this time. I did put in this practice and it's a confidence booster. And if you hear trust your training and you think, oh, well, you know, I didn't put in a ton of work. Mm -hmm. I didn't really prep as well as I could. Then there it is. There's your there's your issue. There's right there laid out in front of you. It's all about preparation. You are once the the lights go on and you prep or and you uh, you're performing like that's that that performance is that performance and isolated. You can't always control what happens. What you can control is the amount of preparation you do and the type of preparation you do. Uh, 90% of the prep work I do will never make it onto the cast. And that's just the reality of the business. Any commentator would tell you the exact same thing. Mm -hmm. So if you get down on yourself about your performance, take a good, honest look at the prep work that you did and try to identify ways that you could maybe go about prepping more. I've given several casts where I have just really not been pleased. And I think that those moments are the moments where you can really kind of wake up and look at the prep that you are doing. There was one very specific, uh, I guess, kind of arc in the Splatoon scene, if you will, around Genesis. uh, Oh, gosh, we're almost on seven. So this would have been Genesis five, where Splatoon commentary really came under fire um, from the average Twitter user and, and, and Twitch chatter and all these different things. And uh, again, kind of like Smash commentators get every single weekend. But for us, it was a big deal. Okay, (laughs) I was, for whatever reason, spared from that. But I in my in my heart, I knew I'm not prepping as well as I could be. I'm certainly once the cast goes on, I get excited. But what more could I be doing? And that was a very big wake up moment. So my biggest disappointment is sometimes in my own preparation. It's often in my own preparation. So I think that uh, having that, I guess, come to light moment where you get to see and look at your preparation and say, okay, that's not great. Uh, You know, again, I was very fortunate that it wasn't people attacking me that made me realize it, but not everyone is that fortunate. So to any who listen to this, I implore you, uh, Keep track of that. Understand what your preparation is and how you can improve that because that's going to fix a lot of issues. Yeah. And I I think, you know, for both you and me, I've had a similar experience where when I got into the scene, like I didn't, I didn't anticipate any of the things that happened to me happening and I didn't know where it was, was going exactly. And I think, I think you and I think you, especially and myself, we have this sort of self-awareness of how crazy it is a lot of the time to like think about the, what we've been able to do or accomplish and that um, it's not something to be taken lightly. And I think in doing so, like as you sort sort of continue in life and you sort of, you build your skill set, but you're doing things that you honestly think you might not deserve or like you think you maybe didn't work as hard enough towards it. That That is especially when the self-doubt, self-deprecation come in thinking like, I don't think I should like I should I don't think I should be here like I don't think I should be doing this because honestly I don't I don't know what I'm doing even if people think I do you know and um it's like I'm not prepared for that right and so it, it seems like for you the the some of the the biggest struggles that you've had has just been maybe doubting your own ability or or doubting your position yeah doubting i uh, imposter syndrome is of course a very prevalent thing especially in society these days what with yeah. 
the advent of social media where now it's very easy to only see the peak moments of all these other people, especially, you know, people who are public figures. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think that that's all the more reason to have a good support system around you who can encourage you and be the fresh set of eyes because, you know, I guarantee every time that I've been hard on myself, I've thought that my view of myself was 100% objective and that I had all the answers. And that is almost (laughs) never the case as he, I'm sure you will attest. Absolutely. Sometimes you need a friend who can say, you know, look at what you've managed to achieve or this portion of what you did was great. And if you have a very, very good friend who's not just a, a yes man, They can say, yeah, this could have been better, but look at this too. And it's a fresh set of eyes. And if nothing else, it's there to keep you honest. And uh, that's a big part of trying to improve in anything is honesty. And there's a lot of people out there who conflate honesty with absurd negativity. And I think we all know somebody who is very negative and themselves a realist. And, you know, that's a mental psychosis that's built over years. And that's very difficult to, to shed. But that's why it's very important to have a support system who is able to help recognize that and point you in the right direction. So, yeah, um, anytime that I feel down, I've always had someone there who's been able to encourage me maybe to be a little honest and um, who's at least who's at least kept me afloat. And generally, I I'm someone who as long as as long as I'm afloat, I can eventually you know, fix things and get back up and identify. And I'm very, you know, very happy with the the mechanisms that I've built that have been able to help me do that. Um, but I recognize that's not something that everybody can do. So it's, again, here we go. I'm not sure how good my advice is, but I hope for at least some of you who are trying to get better uh, that maybe some of this is a little bit relatable. I think, I think it definitely is. And, you know, I, I think... Um people might not realize about myself, but I am a very cynical and a negative person all that time. And I still struggle with it a lot. You know, like, for instance, I remember when um, I w- we were setting up guests for this season of the show. And I remember I reached out to you and I, I was like thinking like, well, he's not going to want to be on the show. It's like, why, why would he want to be on the show? It's really like, we like, you know, just new and he's really busy. And I think about that, but like you you and me are, are fairly good friends. It's like, of course, you know, you, you would, probably be on the show with us you know we're we're buddies and this these are things that you enjoy talking about and it's like that sort of self-doubt where i don't realize my own worth sometimes you know and i struggle thinking like that maybe everything that's going well is just because people take pity on me or something or something like that right right it's like oh and you know and it's difficult to overcome that and come to terms um and not necessarily in a prideful way of starting to think that you've got everything together and you're the the big cahoon in town, but understanding that you, the the effort and, and skill set that you've developed and things that you've accomplished are are a lot a lot mo, you know a lot of it is warned. It's not just you know, something that is a fluke, right? And again, to harken back to the trust your training bit, if you are prepping as best you can and really trying, eventually that's going to pay off. Um, you know the old saying, "Hard work pays off." I think that smart hard work pays off, but eventually if you continue to refine your preparatory, uh, I guess, routine, you will start to see some success in what you do. 
And eventually, sometimes all it takes is one success to really build off and attach yourself to as you continue to move forward. So it all kind of comes full circle in that respect. Yeah. Well, thank you for touching on touching on, you know, sort of your struggles and, and how that's impacted you and how you've grown from it and overcome it. And I think that, again, I do think that is going to help listeners who may be experiencing similar things. And I think that honestly, in society, a lot of people are tackling these things and they just don't talked about. Um, and I wanted to turn the table to radio because radio, I'm sure that you have a, a few questions for nine. And I want, as we sort of are wrapping up the show, um, giving you the floor to ask nine uh, what you want. Okay. Um, actually, there is one thing. Uh, whenever it came to like uh, talking about prep work uh, that you were doing for like training and stuff like that, and this actually applies to me uh, in this case. Um, and I wanted to see how you felt about this. So, for instance, whenever it came to playing arms, um, I have a tendency to try to find the wackiest things to use. So that's probably why I ended up using things like a uh, lockjaw and um, probably revolver usually things that are usually pretty low tier and are considered, you know, just uh, very uh, niche. And, um, but I'll end up finding ways to forget really basic mechanics, like how to use gloves. And that is actually a case. And only recently have I learned how to use, you know, boxing as a skill. Um, so in your case, when it came to Splatoon or uh, anything really, did you find that some of your prep work was actually uh, harmful in the way that you were performing? And did you find it uh, or catch it or even someone who helped you and uh, find a solution for that? Yeah, I actually have a really good example for this. Um, when I initially started in Splatoon commentary, I was the the pen and paper extraordinaire. I took notes on every little thing that you could possibly imagine, be it during the set itself as it was going on. Maybe it was just pages on notes of a scrim that I had watched, all these different things. And then one of the other established commentators at the time, I remember we were both giving interviews for uh, a series that was called Beyond the Ink. It was an opportunity for certain players and personalities to talk sort of like we're doing now about different things outside of the game. But mm -hmm. um, I remember talking in my interview about how notes were, were everything to me, how I needed to take as many notes as we could. And then in the interview right afterwards, this, this figure that I really looked up to, I said very plainly, not to me necessarily, but during his interview uh, to not take notes. And I was <laughs> completely and utterly confounded by this because this was an established commentator who was an encyclopedia on Splatoon knowledge. I mean, even now in Splatoon 2, when it comes to just pure gameplay knowledge, he's he's unmatched. But I was very confused by that. And it took me a while to kind of understand the wisdom behind his statement. You absolutely need to take notes. First of all, I will I will confidently <laughs> say that from my platform that you need to take notes. But there was certainly a time early on where the prep work I was doing was misplaced, where I was spending so much time trying to take notes, reading my notes, and trying to incorporate my notes into a cast that maybe didn't need it. Yeah. And so I think changing my mental approach to how I applied my notes certainly was better for me. And to know that even if I don't know every tiny piece of data from a scrim that happened, that's probably okay because it might not necessarily come or come up and I can use that prep time instead for getting to know my co-caster, getting to understand the players on a deeper level, 
so that I can bring that story up or spending more time taking a break. <laughs> That's a yeah. very valuable piece of prep too. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I honestly, I have not, I've taken notes maybe once in my entire career of arm. And that was uh, in preparation for smash and splash. I took some notes on some players, but even then I feel like the notes that I took were like, not, they weren't really actually good notes in the sense of, I just, for me, my approach has been to just have the knowledge in my head. And if I can keep it all in my head, I end up using it more frequently than if I try to write it down and then incorporate it that way. Like I just try to have it all there to begin with. And then it filters out way better and way faster. You know? um, but I think that there is value in taking, taking notes and incorporating them in a healthy manner. Because yeah, if you try to you know, even for these these episodes of the show that we're doing, like you know, anyone listening, we do have drafts for the episodes. We're not just all uh, shooting it off, you know, <laughs> freestyle. But we don't like it's important not to just get hung up on on covering every little thing that we want to try to cover. Like it's better just have things happen naturally. That it is, and uh, one final little note on this: I, I view commentary very much as the same as I do an improv comedy scene. Uh, one of the one of the big things that happens in improv comedy is people always say, don't bring in you know, pre-made jokes and try to force them into the scene because <laughs> it often comes off as forced. And it more than anything, it just ruins what the real joy of improv comedy is. It's, you know, it's on the spot. It's fun. And that's yeah. what makes it good. So I, I view the same of commentary. If there's a piece of information you have that you think might maybe fit, but you can't find a good place to use it. Don't don't use it again. It's, <laughs> It's one percent of what would be a one like one percent of the cast, but believe me, if that falls flat, it is one of the things that people will remember. So don't let <laughs> the need to try to work in that one piece ruin what might otherwise be a very nice cast because the story is playing out in front of you. Talk about the story that's playing out in yeah. front of you. Yeah. We will take that to heart as well for our show, which I think we have. So <laughs> I, I think so. I think you've done a great job with that. Yeah. Well well, thank you. Uh, um and I, I guess on that note, this will this will sort of conclude the episode that we uh, we had to do two recordings for. <laughs> um, but I mean, really, Nine. Also, thank you not only for being on our show, but also coming back and being on our show again, so that we can do this ju episode justice and, and really delve into these topics. Um, we will definitely, you know, our our as our show has developed and we've recorded episodes and even thought about future episodes. The scope of our show is certainly changing and every episode is sort of different you know some will be more video game focused some will be more mentality focused and the the gist of it is talking about video games kind of their impact on people and then how they have impacted uh communities or individuals on, on a larger level or, or a more intimate level too so again thank you nine if you want uh please give yourself a shout out and and also for the upcoming splatoon tournaments feel free to give you know a shout out to those as well Sir, so um, my Twitch, Twitter, and YouTube are all at nine whole grains, all spelled out totally. Beautiful. Uh, yeah, I know, right? Very easy and consistent. It is the perk of having a very unique name. Is uh, yes, not difficult to to secure all of those things. But <laughs> um, I I do stream. I try to stream at least four times a week, mostly Splatoon and analysis of that. But of course, Ring Fit has become a very Big nice. portion. My viewership has skyrocketed since I started seeing Ring Fit. So that's awesome. Uh, that may be the the play now and into the near future. 
Um, but yeah, feel free to stop by any time. If you are interested in learning more about Splatoon, I'd be happy to point you in the direction of some other great players, some other great streamers some tournament organizers, all of these different things. But thank you again, guys, for having me. I love the changes that were made. I love the the talking about the lowlights because, again, that's a very big part. I think one of my favorite sayings is uh, the people who have made the most shots also have missed the most shots. And that's yeah. something that we miss in the grand scheme of things. So. I love Definitely. what you guys are doing here and thank you once again for having me. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you for being on the show. Um, and again, uh, we will, we will continue doing this and I think we are certainly going to be exploring um, low lights as well in terms of how that's affected the guests that we have on. So thank you so much. We will be back. Um, I think uh, one of the previous episodes, I said that the season finale season finale would be next because um the episodes have shifted and we lost half of this recording. This will be the fourth episode and the next episode on the show will be our season finale. So look forward to that. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for listening and we will, uh, we're on Twitter at Wholesome FM and on most streaming platforms like SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcast. So yeah, um, again, thanks and we'll see you next time. Wholesome Transmissions is hosted by me, Radio, and Pineapple Freak. Produced by myself and edited by Pineapple Freak and me. Special thanks to Griffical and Scrimps and to our friend Nine Whole Grains for being on our show this episode. Also, shout out to the Splatoon community. You guys are awesome.